Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm Josh Cujo. We got Dan over here, and we got Dave, and Alex is on audio because, like a uh, good student, he is completing his engineering homework. Um, so, and we completely support that. So, um, tonight we've got I've got a couple articles, but we've got a little bit more information on some stuff that uh, we felt was pending and some stuff that uh, and arguably uh, might be a little late coming from the FAA. But um, I do want to address, let me share my screen real quick. And screen. All right. So these are some graphs that Dan sent us, uh, I don't know, about a week ago. Um, and these are relating to Reddit. Um, and the subscriber count to various different uh, channels on Reddit uh, related to drones. So this first one, um, and they all are very similar, but this first one is from the FPV channel on Reddit. Um, and it starts in 2012 and goes all the way to current. And you can see over the last uh, essentially two years uh, since, really since COVID kind of kicked off, um, see, there's when... been a... Sh when would that big jump be right there? That's end Probably of 2019 July? or yeah. mid 2019. Yeah. So that wasn't like Maybe stimulus July? money or anything that came later. It did. So, um, but there's been a sharp increase in, um, at least interest in information related to FPV. So, um, this next one is for FPV racing and there's an even sharper increase. Um, and that was and like that a year later. Off. Yeah. Middle of 2020. Scale, the scale is different. Cause the numbers are, much yeah, larger. the scale's a little bit different. Yeah. So you got 60,000 versus a hundred thousand. So, uh, scale's even bigger on that one. And then, uh, this last one is, uh, just the drones channel on Reddit. So um, you can see that interest in drones is uh, growing and will uh, continue to grow. So, um, but uh, back in, 20, in 2016, it was never as good as it was then because everyone was into it and it's all died out now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Don't, don't think so. <laughs> if, you, if you look at uh, like Google's search results, um, that shows a different story, but this is the, mm -hmm. the subscribers to the various subreddits anyway, seem to be yeah. steadily climbing. Absolutely. So, um, and you know, social media, including Reddit, uh, you know, is Reddit social media to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, social media usually gives the, the, the story behind what's going on in trends, uh, especially in today's world. So, uh, this is a pretty marked increase in um, what I thought it was, to be honest. Um, and I started, I think, in around 2015, 2016. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting seeing all the interest in it. But um, I just wanted to start off with that. Um, that bodes well. I mean, the more people who are into the hobby, the I feel like the better off we'll all be. Um, the more voices and and uh, more interest to to keep something alive. Absolutely. Plus, the, so, the slope but, the slope of the racing uh, curve is uh, very interesting to me in that it's steeper than the other two. Uh, absolutely, and that's and that's I, a great I, thing. 
I think uh, organizations like MultiGP, uh, probably DRL, um, have had a lot to do with that. Is that what, um, did DRL do something in the middle of twenty twenty one? Or Alex, do you have any insights into? Or no, that's uh, middle twenty twenty. When was the DJI FPV drone launch? Mm, that was just this year, wasn't it? One, it was about a year ago. Now, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Um, speaking uh, of DJI, before we move to the next topic. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to bring up one thing. Uh, someone mentioned if there's a schedule where I can see the next meeting. So when's the next meeting? What, what's the meeting schedule? So generally, our meeting schedule is every other Wednesday. So it would be every two weeks from today. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we should probably post a schedule. Um, that would be a great idea, uh, especially going into the holidays here. Um, we are going to be um, going a little quieter just because a lot of our meeting times are going to fall on holidays and we don't want to detract from uh, people uh, having their uh, time with their family or anything like that, um, both for us and for, you know, uh, people who want to join us. So. And we will uh, have one not... in two weeks from now, right? And then, mm -hmm. then it starts to get uh, more sporadic after that. Yeah, I think so. Um, now, the only change to that would be um, if we, if something comes from the FAA, uh, you know, circa around uh, <laughs> you know December thirty first or something like that. Obviously, we'll be all hands on deck trying to figure out what that is and, and get that information to you guys as usual. So um, just uh, keep that in mind. We will post announcements if we you know, have something to share. Um, we would expect that there would be something potentially related to CBOs um, coming around then. Um, but actually, uh, Alex, uh, when are we expecting CBOs to be... Uh, declared do you have an answer for that uh the latest update i have is when we are when at the fa expects to have cbo's is september 2022 okay. so that's right around the same time as uh manufacturers data compliance for robot id All and right. that also goes for the same as frias Okay, so we're thinking FRIAs, the process for applying for a FRIA won't be until September 2022 as well? No, they don't. Uh, the accept, the, that's when they plan to have accepted CBOs and FRIAs by. So they plan okay. to have established CBOs and FRIAs. Well, they, have, they plan to have established FRIAs by then, which would thus also mean that they would have to have CBOs by then. Right. Because CBOs and educational institutions are the only ones that can apply for FRIAs. Right, and how so. could you apply for one if you don't exist yet? Right. So, so that's a, that's a full a year time. before uh, operator compliance goes into effect, yes? Uh, hopefully, but yeah, it's that so. we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you keeping score, uh, see, the, the CBO process was supposed to be kind of worked out about two years ago so um so we're finally getting around to that um we uh did the uh they did ask for uh feedback uh to a um what was it called 
advisory circular. Thank you. Appreciate it. An advisory circular, which we provided feedback to, and we have learned there were about 60 responses and <clears throat> to it uh, from various uh, people and organizations. Um, and mind you, that was, you know, more focused on organizations with interest in becoming CBOs. Um, so the feedback was related to that, but we're hoping that we get, uh, uh, feedback on that advisory circular from the FAA in the, you know, coming months, month, hopefully. So, um, yeah. Um, all right. Anything else for us on that, Alex? Uh, nope, that's pretty much it. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. I thought this was really cool. I'll post a link for chat. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> this is a essentially a blimp type drone. Um, and uh, this NTT Docomo is a Japanese mobile carrier has proposed a camera equipped blimp that navigates indoor space using harmless sound waves for propulsion. So there's no propellers on this. It utilizes ultrasonic uh, sound to propel itself around the room. Um, and you can see the video there. They're using ultrasonic speakers and they have a little piece of paper. Um, it says the speed will vary depending on the size of a drone, uh, the size of the propellers, which there aren't any. Um, and the craft's payload, but a drone's propellers... Oh, this is uh, talking about standard propellers. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. Drone's propellers can easily hit speeds of 10,000 RPM. And given the fact that props are often left fully exposed to reduce the weight of the drone, can cause a lot of damage to they make contact with objects or people. But then again, a 10,000 um, RPM tiny whip propeller is not exactly going to do a lot of damage. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> ultrasonic i won't hear of it there you go you actually won't hear it <laughs> um let's see so uh this is why you often see miniature helium filled blimps used for indoor aerial photography instead but while there's less risk of them suddenly falling out of the sky they still rely on spinning propellers for steering so they're not completely safe ntt decomo's uh solution is to is to pair a spherical helium balloon with a high-res camera hanging out the bottom and sets of ultrasonic transducers mounted to either side. Like a speaker, the ultrasonic transducers vibrate to push air, but instead of pumping out music, they're designed to generate just enough air movement to maneuver the aircraft in any direction, even up and down. The transducers are completely safe to touch, so the crashes are no longer a safety risk are much quieter than spinning propellers, and they require much less energy than electric motors. Um, well, I think it's a really so, cool idea, and in theory, yeah. and showing it fly is really awesome, but I, I don't really buy the safety aspects of anything anywhere near that size. Like, you don't need much of a propeller. If that little speaker no. can move it, a teeny tiny propeller barely spinning can also move it, which is not going to be dangerous. Yeah. But the nice thing is, is, you know, if you're, let's say you're doing aerial photography of like a trade show or something like this, this would be, you know, relatively, uh, obviously very quiet and, um, you don't need to move fast anyway. This reminds me of a, 
like an atmosphere version of the ion engine, right? That they they've been uh, testing for, for yeah, space flight. It's just like little micro movements that. I'm just saying, you have the time. same balloon with teeny tiny propellers on it that give the same mm-hmm. force as those speakers. Those teeny yeah, tiny propellers tiny. are not going to make any sound or damage anything larger than a gnat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that <laughs> might take offense, though. So, um, but yeah, the, I mean, pretty cool process. Uh, you know, cool thought. Um, let's see. My props make a lot of sound anyway until someone opens the door and a draft pops out the window. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would be funny. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's a good idea. Uh, yep. Although, but I, I so, think it's really cool just to prove that yeah, you can I mean, do it. Absolutely. So, um, this is not going to be a friendly article, but I wanted to bring this to light a little bit um, because I'm seeing more of these this week than I really wanted to see. And this is one of those uh, fear-mongering type uh, articles. And this comes from uh, uh, one of the California local news channels. Um, so. Uh, this is uh, talking about weaponized drones are likely coming to the U.S. Well, that mentions um, Newsy at the top. Where have we heard Newsy before? <laughs> I'm sure Bruce <laughs> could answer that. So uh, today, technically, anyone could have their own Air Force with drones, and that's becoming a serious problem to security experts. Um, and I'm mocking this. Uh, I know, I know uh, uh, Alex has his own Air Force full of drones. He's got enough of them. Yeah, I mean, I've I technically, I mean, what, what do you mean? How many, how many drones qualifies as a squadron? Oh, I mean, right, right. Alex's like... don't all fly at the same time, so no Air Force there. Huh? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny how many drones I have. That's funny. Last Sunday, three drones armed with explosives were used in a failed assassination plot on Iraq's prime minister. Analysts say they resembled drones leaked to Iranian-backed militias, which have targeted American troops in a spate of attacks on Iraq. Another flurry of drones descended on U.S. forces last month in Syria, and they're also thought to show Iran's hand. Um... So, uh, Fransman says, Iran often uses so-called kamikaze drones for one-way suicide missions. It might even, is it a suicide mission or just a one-way mission? I mean. <laughs> it's a it's missile, a is what uh, Bruce would call <laughs> it. Are we personifying drones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you draw a smiley face on it, it's, it's a suicide bomb. Yeah, so. um So in a country like ours, which is sort of increasingly ridden by political division, it will not be surprising if you're going to see people who at least consider, if not use, these cheaply and readily available systems to carry out their own domestic violent agendas. This is like, this is garbage. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. Um, The Federal Aviation Administration says it's receiving more than 100 reports of drone sightings each month. In the energy sector, an intelligence bulletin first obtained by ABC News reported that a drone targeted... A hey, look, I saw a drone. It's a drone sighting. Should right? I report it? The FAA tells Newsy it's crafting a process so certain facilities can apply for airspace restriction and energy infrastructure would fall under that provision. But government is moving slower than technology advances. The FAA just began testing drone detection systems at a handful of airports this month. The Defense Department started evaluating commercial devices to intercept 
small drones in urban settings at a demonstration in Arizona this past spring. Drone experts say demand will rise, but the counter-drone industry is just taking off. I would beg to differ. There are more counter-drone companies, I swear, than there are people actually making drones. Um, the data? What's that? What's the date on this? Uh, let's on the, see. On the November 16th, 2021, so yesterday. Wow, that's amazing. Because a lot of this is out of date. So it, it feels like it is, right? But yeah, I mean, this they, is uh, just the, this the is the infrastructure rules have been in place for quite some time. It's 2209, 2210. Yeah. And the uh, the um, was it Iraq? Iran? Yes. Uh, no, and no, the where they were. Uh, there was they, uh, that, that was, was Iraq. That was last month, I think. So at any rate, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, between between this and the, um, I've seen different takes on the Pennsylvania power station one. One said it looked like bungee cords that were, looked like maybe a recovery device that somebody was using to try and maybe fetch another drone. But, um, you know, it's just uh, I'm seeing a lot of these lately, and I haven't seen a ton in the past. I don't know year or so, but we're back to this now. So. Uh, you know, if you're talking to people about drones, you know, have some wherewithal to counter some of this and um, and be able to speak to, to this because this is this is just outrageous. You know, I don't. This is not something I'm afraid of. So um, at any rate, there's that. Um, moving on from crap recording i have this i have not watched red notice yet um i've heard you know different takes on it but apparently uh johnny fpv um was doing some work let's see was roped in by netflix to introduce a new form of film technology in red notice attaching a 6k komodo cinema camera from uh from red to a racing drone, that's going to be a extremely expensive camera. Um, Johnny made his Hollywood debut by flying in some of the most exotic locations across the planet in some of the most expensive sets Netflix has ever built. Um, in an interview with comicbook.com, Red Notice director Rawson Marshall Thurber and producer Hiram Garcia explained how they wanted to make the movie more immersive for the audience by using innovative drone technology. But in case you haven't watched the film yet, uh, you can see two minutes of spoiler-free drone sequences from uh, from Red Notice. Um, and Johnny FPV also posted on his YouTube channel just the the highlights of his shots in the show. That's what this is here. Oh yeah, there you go. I'll blow this up here. That's so good. It's like you just assume that whole thing was all CGI. Yeah. And I believe at some point there it transitions to a non-drone yeah. shot. Probably a steady cam. But that, yeah, that intro is great. Yeah. Yeah, it really reminds me of some of his drift show uh, shots where he comes into the drifting cars just like that. 
Oh, that's cool. I assume the drone smashed into those boards there at some point. Probably. <laughs> It's like, how many red cameras were destroyed in the making of this film? <laughs> From what I understand, most productions actually rent the cameras just because they're so expensive. <laughs> I love the feel that gives you there, chasing the mm -hmm. cars. Man, I can't imagine the the nerves you would have flying like over those expensive cars and around those actors. Absolutely, Johnny does a great job with this kind of stuff. He's been doing this stuff for Red Bull and stuff for a while. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, congratulations to him. That's great. Um, it's awesome seeing FPV in in filmmaking. Anyone try to go chase a, a car or an, an air, model airplane? It's like, oh my gosh, this is this is pretty hard. So that was some fantastic work, as <laughs> yeah. you guys say. Yeah, Johnny FPV's been doing it a while, and his work is great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it says uh, talking about the use of FPV drones uh, in the later part of the film. Thurber adds in the mine shaft sequence that ends the film. We were about 400 feet underground in a mine in northern Atlanta, and we brought the drone down there and chased the cars through the mine shafts. Um, FPV drones have truly, uh, have truly been having their moment this year, popularized first by a viral bowling alley video and later being adopted by everyone from luxury car showrooms to football teams for providing an unprecedented up close look into their facilities. Recently, the world's biggest drone manufacturer, DJI, also announced the opening of a new authorized retail store in South Korea with an FPV drone video. But while we love coming across stellar FPV drone stories that tell a story of their own, we are certainly looking forward to watching more movie productions use FPV shots in their film making process. And uh, yeah, it does look clean. It's amazing. Um, Johnny just, he really kills it. Just about every time I've seen him um, uh, do something for Red Bull or even this, it's always super clean. So um did DJI use one of their own drones for that video uh, of them opening their store in South Korea? I don't know. I would imagine they probably would have used their FPV drone, but who knows? Let's see what's next. Uh, in case you like DRL's uh, uh, game, uh, it is now out for mobile. Um, if you need to get some uh, drone <laughs> practice of. on the go there, Alex. Um, you can, uh, download it for, uh, Apple or Android. Um, I'd be a little bit more leery of this one though. <laughs> Why so? Well, so I happened to be watching Joshua Bardwell and Blunty's stream last night and they, yeah. he installed it on his phone and was trying to figure out like, okay, what's the catch here? But it basically, uh, is a tie in to the, uh, a cryptocurrency company that, or has an interest in DRL and Ooh. is trying to get you to buy into the cryptocurrency stuff. Oh, Bitcoin, here we go. Are we going to have a DRL coin? A drone coin? Did I just, did I just create something? <laughs> <laughs> right, and XJet, like XJet says, I, I, Bardwell was, was concerned that it was mining crypto in the background of his cell phone. That's funny. It's like, 
Uh, like it, so, and I think uh, it's trying to get you into doing microtransactions and buying in-game collecting right, coins so and stuff. But users, download you don't at have your to. own risk. Do your research first. But DRL has launched a mobile video game. <laughs> um, beginning this December, DRL will pit drone racing arcade players against one another in skills-hosted drone racing arcade tournaments for the opportunity to win exclusive prizes. The Drone Racing Arcade mobile game provides a new immersive experience that gives DRL fans a way to take part in drone racing action. Um, so, oh yeah, uh, that's right. Like, uh, <laughs> is brought up in the chat there. there it, it tries to sort of get you into gambling, like racing against each other players and earning coins and money and sort of betting yeah, on yourself. Sure. Well, DRL does... Uh, um, they do... Uh, participate in uh essentially betting uh at their races so um it is i i forget which network it's on but it is uh on one of the betting uh channels it might be DraftKings or something like that but um just be careful with that i don't want anybody losing their shirt on drone racing (laughs) i think as joshua Uh, sort of put it uh it may not be for him but if it gets more of the public interested in drones and drone racing then Maybe it's overall, right. maybe for the better. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and last but not least, um, DJI has released two new drones. Um, these are so far are, um, only in China. It's the DJI Agris T40 and T20P. These are agricultural <laughs> drones, uh, specific drones. Um, the T40 is a DJI's new flagship for digital agriculture, um, offers significant efficiency improvements over its predecessor, the T30. Um, equipped with a coaxial twin rotor design, the T40 farming drone boasts a spreading capacity of 50 kilograms and a spraying capacity of 40 kilograms. Effectively, this drone can spread uh, 1.5 tons of urea or spray pesticides on a uh, 320 acre field in an hour. Um, the drone also features omnidirectional radar and binocular vision to detect obstacles at a distance of up to 50 meters. Um, the T40 can also be flown in complex terrain, such as orchard hills, spraying up to 60 acres of fruit trees in an hour. Um, if they weren't so expensive, I'm sure there'd be all kinds of fun uses for being able to spray a little bit of liquid on some friends of yours. <laughs> <laughs> skunk spray maybe yeah (laughs) uh the t40 has an ultra high definition camera and adjustable gimbal gimbal so the drone can collect farmland and orchard images in real time build maps locally and identify plot boundaries and obstacles for intelligent route planning um the smart agricultural cloud platform users can automate field inspections crop growth analysis and disease monitoring um, in addition to pairing the system with the DJI uh, P4 multi-spectral drone, allows farmers to apply solutions based on specific variables. Um, so pretty cool. Looks like it all folds up. It's got a tank on it um, on board. Uh, so uh, the T40 is available for just a mere starting price of $9,000. Ouch. So, That's a lot but, to prank uh, your friends with a little skunk spray. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> But uh, um, definitely uh, 
you know, another use case for drones, right? Uh, replacing crop dusters and stuff like that. Now, this would probably be a much slower process, but, um, you know, you save on a pilot, a plane, and, uh, you know, gas. So, there you go. Um, anywho, uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's all I have. Um, let's see. Dan, did you have anything for us this evening? I feel like I no, I don't think I had anything. It was it was last meeting we talked and rehashed over the the DAC ACK meeting. Um, <laughs> DAC <laughs> DAC ACK. I can't get over that. <laughs> that they renamed. So if anybody didn't pay attention to our previous meeting, uh, there was a drone advisory committee meeting from the FAA, and they're renaming that group from the DAC to the ACK. And I already forgot what those the triple A's stand for. Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee. So yeah. So we have to uh, drop the DAC and start referring to the ACK. And uh, we're just gonna go with Mars Attacks. So, Alex, what do you got for us this evening? Um, well, not too much. One thing that is interesting is the new Orca radio is dropping tomorrow. I think that's starting at 49 euros and 79 for the goat for including ghost. So with it, if I got that right, that radio does not contain any kind of transmitter at all built in. But you can yep. put a ghost module. module. It in comes it. with a Bluetooth. Comes with a okay. Bluetooth module to put in, so you can connect it to their simulator for your phone. Okay. And then the only but supported then, module is their ghost module. Uh, so far, and it's a completely different module bay too. It's even smaller. Uh, proprietary. Uh, it is not OpenTX. It uses their own app to configure it. No display. Um. So probably not a hit with the, our typical FPV crowd. Yeah. Although not. someone like you, if but you've tr transitioned all your racing I, drones to Ghost, yeah. you might consider it. Yeah, since all my stuff is Ghost, I think I might try it just to see what it's like. Um, because I also have Orca goggles, and maybe there will be some integration where Between I can the use the goggles, the SIM, and the phone, or goggles controller and the SIM. All together, a lot of the nice. DJI FPV, <laughs> or a lot of lot of Team Black Sheep stuff is integrated with its but, yeah. stuff, its own. So, so it'll accept pretty much any kind of uh, multi protocol module. Uh, <laughs> well, it doesn't run OpenTX, so oh. it's up to Orca no. to decide what they support, and What's it's got a different module be? bay that's incompatible with any existing modules. Yep. Good time. So it'll be interesting. Okay, so we've got that coming out. Um, I've seen a little bit on Edge TX. I have not messed with it, uh, which I know I'm probably way late to the party on that, but uh, it's been around since like June of this year. So, um, but I did see a Bardwell video of him kind of going through that and and uh, really enjoying it and giving some more functionality to some of the OpenTX. Uh, uh, 
transmitters. So, Let's see, yeah. um, we didn't talk about transmitter. I may, I may burn that on. See, see how it goes. Yeah, never been a fan of OpenTX. It's got its pluses and minuses, I guess. Yeah, oh, I agree. Uh, let's see. We didn't talk at all, <laughs> all about uh, the nationals, did we last last meeting, or did we bring it How'd up? Your races uh, go, Alex. Bit? Oh yeah, that that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to forget it? <laughs> no. Um, well, we had the first three-time champion, uh, Evan Turner. He has won three times now, which is crazy. We also had. Uh, a championship where pilots couldn't finish two laps of the track, not oh, because good. of crashing out, but because of batteries. What? Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Explain was, that a little bit yeah. more. So this year, uh, MultiGP chose to do a longer track for champs. So lap times were around 30 seconds for the pros and... 45, 50 seconds for sport. And okay. so um, sport was all able to finish their two laps and all. But when you got to the top of the pros where they're doing 30 second laps, um, their batteries would, some of them would have a clean flight the entire time. And the last or second to last gate, their battery would be completely dead and they couldn't get to the finish gate. Oh, um, no. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> there are a couple of them where um, some pilots just didn't make it because of battery, not because of piloting skill. So they didn't oh, bring along but... batteries that were just a little bit bigger? I'm sure that would throw you completely off. But Yeah, yeah because then you have to account for the weight and the change of flight performance, which right. is noticeable at that level. Yeah, for um, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, battery changing pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> It's not mayhem. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it might be something to consider that, you know, that might be um, something that needs to, you know, uh, become a thing where you're actually planning for pit stops. I know, uh, and I, you know, I don't follow drone racing super closely, but I do know, you know, several years ago in the Dubai uh, races that they actually had pit crews that changed batteries in the middle of that, that uh, course. So, um i think we're at the point now more where you would just have to plan or, like know ahead of time and plan for a bigger a drone that can mm, fly a little bit longer of course or yeah. or design or work on the drone which is yeah mm -hmm. absolutely so um, a, shorter, a shorter course no 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 <laughs> we don't need shorter courses just need yeah, yeah we need I to fly faster jet well, faster, I mean, faster isn't necessarily going to mean you're making it. I mean, if the pros at 30-second lap times can't get a battery to get across the finish line, then, uh, you know, might have a... Well, if you've dropped you know, your lap time solution. down to 25 seconds, you would have made it to the finish. <laughs> and burn more amps in the process. <laughs> I think that's the wrong way around. <laughs> that's hilarious. But, but yeah, uh, that was yeah. good. It was fun. Uh, the track was great. All all the pilots there loved the track. Um, we had a triple tower in the middle that was 30 feet tall. Um, it, it was so fun flying through the track. It just flew so well. 
Um, yeah. And your lap times were? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Oh, that's convenient. That's convenient. Let's see. <laughs> All right. I forgot my notebook. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. So, uh, Dave, you got anything for us this evening? Uh, DG12 with the ACK is uh, moving along. It's uh, the tasking group on uh, integrating aviation stem into k-12 through and i think we're making some progress we're uh, talking about uh, working with accreditation uh, bodies and uh, education in the united states uh, you know as uh, i've gone through it you know i thought it was uh, screwed up uh, when i went through it 40 years ago and uh, it's amazing that uh, we graduate anyone uh, in this country there are 50 separate uh, processes and uh, None of it is uh, unified at a federal level, and so it's just amazing. And multiple accreditations, over 100 accrediting bodies at K-12. through So we're learning as aviation geeks uh, all about uh, the education uh, bureaucracy in the, in the United States. And we'll, we'll still try to intercept it at an, uh, at an intelligent way, and uh, we'll make something positive. So that's moving along, I think, uh, quite well. Uh, the another FAA-related uh, project, of course, is the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee. Dan and I have been attending more meetings of that than uh, uh, we care to admit. Than anyone um, should uh, be uh, subjected to. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been burning probably about 30 hours a week on that for the last month. And uh, so the, uh, the work group, uh, I'm helping write the... Uh, um, automated flight rules, and that's a. Uh, I'm very proud of this team. It's about 20, 25 people. Lots of great writing. It's a, now a document about 91 pages, and that's uh, one portion. So there are five uh, work groups that uh, that are working in the in the arc. And I got confirmation. This always needs to be. I will ask the question again and again and again until I have the document in my hands but i did get confirmation that yes they the document will be published af after it is submitted to the faa and the faa approves release it's not it's never a given that that will happen uh in arc uh, but there is so much information uh in this uh, combined document that i've been pushing and pushing and pushing I got a confirmation. We'll see, and we'll we'll continue to follow up with that. Yeah, that'll be great it's, when that gets published, because then we can more we can talk a little more openly about what's in it, uh, draw right. people's attention Absolutely. to it, and then if the FAA does something that's different than what the ARC recommends, we can point to those things. Right, it'll help us be very well educated when they uh, beyond visual line of sight uh, not, um, notice for public rulemaking uh, comes out, which is of course the next step. So yeah, agreed, Dan. That that'll be that's that'll be a positive, and it'll help us. And uh, eighty some odd companies in that, where we are um, proud to have been selected to be a part of that, and uh, we are um, one of a handful of people helping write the document. So it's uh, a lot of work, but it's uh, we're right in the in the thick of it, and we're helping to uh, uh, contribute uh, significantly to the overall document. And back on the tasking group 12, that's the only tasking group that's still doing anything for the ACK right now, correct? They didn't create any the only new one. 
tasking groups. That, that's correct. Yeah, it's the only one that's running. Uh, Levin uh, uh, presented at the uh, October 27, and uh, the next uh, ACK is uh, in February. I would imagine the latter part, you see, the history has told us it's the third third week in the, in the month. But Any not, idea not on upcoming tasking groups that would be initiated during the next one? No, it's, those are always uh, uh, a deep, dark secret. If I had All to right. predict, I would say something related to air mobility. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> that would, that's a good one. And another one would be something with um, some a societal benefit, since we've seen gender-neutral language and we've seen K-12 integration. So there is a strong, strong uh, Department of Transportation push on uh, what's the societal benefit of anything uh, we're working on in aviation. Do you I think, think um, uh, Beyond Visual Line of Sight would receive any kind of tasking as a, like, uh, coming out of the... Um... Uh, what is very likely, um, one of the things we saw with the safety culture that was PG Tasking Group 9 that reported out uh, the in june of 2021 the response from the faa was largely oh, we like it and we're gonna uh kick the can down the road and ask the uh formerly the uast now the drone safety team uh to create a, a a working group and dig into this so as things get more technical i uh, i think that would be uh, something that uh would would we would likely see um action items coming out of uh the uh, BB loss arc uh, going into the DST as well as potentially into the AC. So that's... Yep. And, and let's see. I Hopefully I find out uh, tomorrow if uh, they accepted my application into the drone uh, safety team. There you go. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so uh, we have uh, drones offer a lot of potential societal benefits. I would, would agree with that. Um, I think just the 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 amount of different tasks that drones can be utilized for um, are great. Um, I did read an article uh, today. I didn't present it because it was kind of it was very short um, and didn't offer a whole lot to, of engaging material. But drones are becoming more common on construction sites for things like mapping and um, surveying and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you do mention uh, things like emergency transport of organs. Yep, I agree with that. Um, you know, or things just you know like these DJI drones, the agricultural drones. Um, not just search, spraying search crops, and, search and but, rescue. Yeah, uh, replace for, uh, taking uh, people out of dangerous uh, uh, missions and replacing replacing them with machines. Great rescuing great dogs fire. from 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 volcanoes <laughs> making really good action shots in uh in, in movies in did they actually well, get the drug dogs, dogs out uh, i think so uh greg put out a video let me just double check that um, so the action so shots it really is a good point from a perspective of uh, production with movies as well as news and you think well you know we say it half in jest but it's like Oh, so we didn't put up a helicopter, right? And you mm -hmm. didn't burn that level of fuel, so oh, it really is a lot greener. So it's you know, and so, didn't put yeah, as many people at risk, those. and right, right. Let me see. Burn. 
Remember the name of it. Uh, it says, let's see. <clears throat> so you're looking up to see if the dogs got rescued in the from the volcano. Yeah, it says this article says more than two weeks later we still don't know who saved the La Palma dogs. Um, the dogs were rescued by a group that calls itself the A Team. They have been trapped by lava flows from the Brave Vieja. Yeah, you'd think if drones uh, did it, there'd be some footage of that somewhere. Yeah. Probably. Maybe somebody else snuck in there before the drones had a chance to... But the drones were definitely helping keep them alive with giving them food and water. Yes, absolutely. They were delivering food and water. Um, So that that was awesome. <laughs> the A-team. <laughs> Apparently, they're like a... a little secretive group um the a-team so... didn't have any drones that was uh, a little early <laughs> <laughs> so at least they're rescued that's a great deal um and uh it's great that even even just delivering food and water to the dogs so they could be rescued uh, mm -hmm. uh by the a-team um is awesome so um Drones on construction sites are great for diving partly built buildings. Yes, I've done that. It is great. Um, drones would be great only if they weren't so secret. They are. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I find it interesting to think how we've essentially had everything we need to make drones since the 70s, but didn't actually figure it out till recently. I think we talked about that uh, a little bit once. Yeah. And I, I mean... When was the first drone, actual quadcopter or tricopter? Were tricopters before quadcopters? Uh, maybe they were more popular, I think, a little bit because they could maneuver better because we didn't have the being able Flight to yaw as well and things. Uh, yeah. But I think it really came down to a, the right timing for the right parts at the right price at the right size to make it all, all work the way we have it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still, I mean, they've been around for longer than you know I've known about them. So, um, and FPV's been around since a lot longer than I've known about it. So, <laughs> well, especially uh, if you watch that video, of the guy who did the FPV uh, planes in the '80s, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's pictures of uh, Trappy with his first FPV headset. Those were those are pretty crazy pictures. Um, of, like basically just a rigged up pair of sunglasses or something that i think he put together but uh really interesting stuff but anyway uh i think that's all i have uh i think that's all we've all got Does so anybody else have any you... questions for us yeah or thoughts or ideas 2005 wow that's awesome actually first fpv flight his first fpv flight was 2005 that's really cool you might have to make a, a new video on that like reminiscing about yeah, the 2005 sure. flight showing some pictures and videos from back then <laughs> that would be cool <laughs> alex was only three <laughs> uh, i can imagine it was that so would alex be, why uh... weren't you flying in 2005 come on <laughs> i don't know it's tough uh, i didn't know about it um funny 
then parents didn't tell me about it. Right. So yeah. Blame the parents. That's couldn't really it. do too much about it. I didn't know how to use the internet. <laughs> uh, long wire radio a 420 line black and white camera and a nitro engine oof yeah that would have been a little sketchy all right well uh thank you all for joining us this evening we do appreciate it um we will be back in two weeks and um we will we'll get a schedule up of our meetings and when we plan to have them. That way, we'll get that posted on our website. That would be a great resource, I think. So, especially for the upcoming online stuff, we'll get that taken care of. So, thank you. Uh, have a great night. Have a great week. Uh, get out and do some flying. Hopefully, it's not snowing. Or if you're like Dan, you know your drones are protected from snow anyway. Snow's and you more just fun. Throw them into it. Formal coat. <laughs> or you could just be here in Arizona where it's still 80 degrees and uh, uh, flying that sounds is, like terrible. Flying is fun. So. And to those in the United States, a happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Um, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you.